Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Uh, we've been in a, a series entitled Love Without Limits. Now we're going to conclude this series today. However, don't feel like you're stepping into the middle of a movie because this is a standalone message. Uh, but you are free to go online uh, to our website or we have also have a podcast. You can catch up uh, with the rest of the series uh, that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. But so, so grateful that you're here. And I really want to just talk to you for a few minutes around this idea. Very simple, simple idea. And that's that, this idea that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. Just ask that you would come, Lord, and meet us right where we're at. God, I thank you that you know our number, you know our language, you know how to get our attention. Um, and God, you know where every heart is individually, and you are big enough to speak to each of us. And so, Lord, we just invite you to have your way. I pray that my mouth would be used for your glory, and that, God, that, uh, that your heart would be revealed. That it wouldn't just be a, a clever talk, but, Lord, it would be a demonstration of your Spirit's power in this place. Lord, that we would all leave here um, refreshed, encouraged, built up, um, maybe some of us a little convicted. Uh, God, we just ask that we would leave here with a, a great perspective of you, but also having an encounter with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Hey, man, that was a long prayer. I was going for it. Uh, listen, one of the things I love about Christmas is, is the kiddos. You got to love kids on Christmas, right? Uh, especially the transparency of kids when it comes to asking Santa for things. You guys tracking with me? Let me give you an example. Uh, this is a little bit hard to, to see, but Noel asked for an iPad. I love Noel asked for clothes, C-L-O-S-E. Um, and then goes on to say, I would love a better life and no school, Santa. <laughs> that would be awesome. Some of you are like, yeah, me too. Let, let me show you another one. This one said, dear Santa, how are your reindeer? Listen, if you cannot buy what I want, take it easy on yourself. Just give me tens and ones. <laughs> Hashtag money. Give me some money. <laughs> Listen, Santa, if you can't hook me up, no problem. Just, just give me some money. Right, look at this next one. I love this. So, dear Santa, I want for Christmas is a little sister, but not right now, like in two years. <laughs> like a little sister would be cool. Just wait a couple of years. What, what about this one? This one tickles me. Dear Santa, please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you, XO, XO, XO. Come on, that's, that's asking Santa in the 21st century. Listen, Santa, I've got time for this. Just go ahead and text my dad. He'll, he'll get back to you. Uh, last one, look what Rebecca says. Dear Santa, I've been good all year. I want an island in the middle of nowhere so I can run away, smiley face. Rebecca. How many of you guys would say, I would love an island like that? But listen, I, I think uh, opposed, uh, not, not just, uh, kids aren't just only transparent around Christmas, but I think they're also asking a lot of questions. We ask a lot of questions um, uh, when we were kids, uh, when it comes to Christmas, don't we? we? We ask questions like, man, I wonder what I'm going to get for Christmas. We ask questions like, I wonder what's inside of this wrapped present. And then they get a little bit more deep and meaningful, like, I wonder how long I get to stay out of school. Um, we ask questions like, I, I wonder if Santa's for real, right? And, and it's funny because kids ask questions, but so do we as adults. So do we as teenagers. It's just the questions shift a little bit, don't they? Like when you're a kid, you're asking the question, 
You're asking, listen, I wonder what's under the tree. When you're an adult, you're asking, how am I going to pay for what's under the tree? Like, how is this going to work out without going into debt, right? Uh, when, when, when you're a kid, you're like, man, I, I, I want a pony. When you're a parent, you're like, how in the world would you ever think that we could fit a pony in this house or backyard? But I tell you what, I'm going to get you a pony. But you can only ride it once a year at the Alameda County Fair. That's it. That's it. But, you know, they're going to keep them nice and safe until, until that year. But, but I think we also start to ask some deeper questions around Christmas. I think we, we, we ask questions like, man, how am I going to navigate the brokenness in my family? Hey, we got to see family this Christmas. How am I gonna? How am I gonna do that? We got a ton of houses to go to. How am I gonna balance everything out? I, I think it gets even a little bit deeper. Uh, if you're single, you may ask, man, how am I gonna do another Christmas being single? Like, man, God, when is when is Mister or Mrs. Wright gonna show up? Some of us, it's not. Uh, we we don't have a lot of family or festivity or any of that. We're wondering, man, how am I going to endure another season by myself? I think the questions can go even deeper around this time. You start to ask, man, man, if there's a God, why do I feel so much pain? And why am I in such a bad place? Like, why am I unhappy if there's such a good God? Or even deeper questions like, why in the world am I even here? Or is this all there is to life? Like, is this as good as it gets? We all have questions. And I think it's really awesome because... The people who experienced the first Christmas also had a lot of questions. In fact, we're going to look at a group of people today um, who were found in the Christmas story, even though they may not have been at the very first portion of Christmas, meaning when Jesus was born. Many believe they came about maybe a, a year or two later. You might not have known that. But it was a group of people that came with some questions, looking for some answers, looking for some meaning and some purpose to life. And you guys may know them as the Magi. Or the wise men. Now, these guys are a little bit mysterious. We don't know too much about these guys. In fact, if I were to ask you, how many wise men or magi were there on that Christmas? Does anybody know? Anybody want to take a guess? Three. Right? That's been kind of the, the traditional understanding that there was three. But I hate to burst your bubble. The reality is we don't know. We think it's three because there were three gifts. It kind of makes sense, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, hey, three wise men, three magi. But the truth is we don't know. In fact, we don't even know where these guys were from. We know they came from the east, but many people speculated how far east. Did these guys, did these guys come from China? Did they come from Babylon? Like where are these guys even from? We don't know. We don't know much about them. But now, now there, there, there is something that we do know. Now most scholars believe that uh, these guys were, uh, were Persian and that they were part of a religious group uh, called the Magi, which simply means uh, magician and, and astrologers. See, we, we knew that most likely these guys were astrologers, that they studied the, the stars in the sky. Uh, as we get into our text, that's going to be pretty, pretty apparent. But, but though, that's something that, that we do know about them, that many scholars believe that they were magi, they were, they were astrologers, they were magicians, they were into supernatural things. However, none of those things seemed to satisfy, and they were still in pursuit of some great answers because they had 
some great questions. These people called the Magi. Now, let's jump, jump into our text today. Listen, if, if you're here today and you have questions, you have something in common with the first Christmas story. You have something in common with these guys called the Magi. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Continue. It goes on to say that after this interview uh, with King Herod, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, it's important to understand that these guys were hungry for some answers. These guys had some great questions, and they were hungry for some great answers. So much so that the, the, the New Testament text it was originally written in the Greek. And when they came looking for this king, it suggests that they just weren't asking casually, but they were asking intensely. Almost like this notion of they're asking everybody, where's this king of the Jews? Like, how come you guys aren't all excited and, and prepared for this? Don't you know what's happening? Where is this king? Where can we find this king? <laughs> they were pretty intense. They were, they were super hungry for some answers. So much so that, again, if these guys were Persian, which most likely they were, and I'm going to build the argument for that in just, just a moment. But if they were, they would have traveled over 800 miles in the first century to get to Jerusalem. That is intense. That is worse than 580 from Livermore to Tracy during traffic hour. Some of you guys are like, no way, no way. There's no way it's worse. No, but it was dangerous to travel in the first century. They didn't have, you know, technology and design like we have today. It was dangerous. And these guys were wealthy guys. These guys were coming with gifts. But this great hunger and desire for answers, man, per, caused them to, to take this journey that, that was by far a huge leap, huge leap of faith. Now, one of the things we do know about these guys is that they had some understanding of the Old Testament or uh, the Hebrew uh, writings in the Old Testament of the Bible. Because they came looking for something specific. They came looking for the king of the Jews. This is why most scholars believe that these guys uh, were, were Persian because they would have been under the influence in Babylon of some of the Jews there. And Daniel had an incredible influence in the region of Babylon. And so somewhere along the line, they were able to, to pick up some of the Old Testament writings. And they must have been uh, familiar with some of the prophecies that were written about the Messiah or the Savior to come. Messiah simply means the Christ, the, the anointed one, the one who would save the world. And so, so they had some, some understanding of these prophecies. Now, prophecies just simply means that God spoke something in the past and said, man, this is about to come to fruition later in the future. God spoke some things about the Messiah to come hundreds of years before he even came. That this is what it would look like. This is where he would live. This is how he would be born. All these different things. And so it seems like these guys had some understanding of some prophecy, especially the one found in Numbers chapter 24. Look what it says. 
It says that a star will come out of Jacob. Now, these guys are astrologers. They, this must have piqued their interest. Out of all the prophecies, they must have been like, a star? Really? What, what, what's going on with this star? A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, this was a, a, a messianic prophecy. This was a prophecy about the Savior to come. And for them, it was like, could it be? Could it be that? That this is it. Could you imagine that night they see, or you imagine when they first saw the star, and they're wondering, no way. Like, is this really for real? Like, could this really be true? And they were so hungry, they had to find out. They had to find out. Why? Because they had some longings in their heart. They had some questions about life that they're like, man, if this is real, this is about to change the game. There was a sign in the sky that they were looking for. Sign in the sky. I wonder if this could be the king of the Jews. Now, maybe you're here today and you have some questions about God. Maybe you have some questions like, man, if God is so good, why is there all this, why is all, all this evil and suffering in the world? Man, if God is so, you know, good, again, why does life seem to be so tough and difficult? Maybe you have some questions about creation and science and how, how do you reconcile those things. Maybe you have some questions about why there's so many religions and how do I know Christianity is the way. Maybe you have some questions about God. Now, it's evident to us that these guys also had questions. Like they didn't know God the way Mary and Joseph did on that first Christmas. They, they, they didn't have the luxury of hearing Jesus preach and proclaim who he was. They didn't have any of those, those luxuries, but, but they were so hungry for answers that that pursuit was so intense that it led them to take this arduous journey. I mean, just, just think about that, over 800 miles to try to find some answers. It was intense. You know, I have a question for you today. Because, again, maybe you're looking for some answers today. You're, you're searching. You're wondering. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. What would it take to get a satisfying answer around this idea of suffering? Like, what would it take to, to get a, an answer where your heart was totally satisfied, like, okay, I'm solid now? Because a lot of times we think if we can get a great answer, that it's going to soothe our doubts and fix everything. But truth of the matter is, even if you got a great answer for suffering, guess what? There's still going to be suffering. Even if you got a great answer for suffering, it may not soothe a lot of other doubts that, that you may have. Are you, guys, are you guys with me? So, so what if it's not just simply a great answer? Answers are important, and we're going to talk about those in a moment. But what if it's not just a great answer you need? What if it's something else? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. What if what we need wasn't a great answer but a great person? We needed a great person. You see, I, I, was, uh, I was 18 years old. I was in St. Louis visiting my mom. Now, I grew up in church. My mom raised me in church. But I went south about junior high. I just started to get really skeptical, and I just I lost my way. And so from junior high throughout high school, I lived crazy, crazy. Your pastor was a little bit of a thug, trust me. You're going to see in just a moment. So I found myself at a church in St. Louis. And the preacher says, young man, I have a word from God for you. And in my mind, I'm skeptical. I'm like, oh, 
what do I, what's going on, bro? Do I have a headache? Right? Are, are you going to you gonna try to get me to buy some miracle water? Like, what, what's the, what, what are you, I was just mocking him in my head. And he simply looks at me, doesn't say much, just says, hey, listen, two weeks ago that bullet was meant for you. God has spared your life. There's no more running from God. And I'm like, what? Who are you? Like I said, I was a little bit of a thug before, you know, Jesus. And, and a couple weeks before that, I was outside of a nightclub. The guy next to me gets shot. I carry him to the ambulance. I never heard a grown man cry so loud in my life. But that day, he didn't give me an answer. That's not what I walked away with. He, he simply said, God has spared your life. There's no more running from God. It's pretty compelling. But it wasn't an answer. But I walked away with this reality that is very personal. Like, God, you, you really know who I am. It was personal. You see, answers are, are important. Don't get me wrong. You know, we don't serve a God that is not reasonable in the sense of this. Meaning Christianity is not a blind faith. It's not like, hey, just kind of put your faith in this God that you've never seen and there's no solid evidence to back up anything that he said. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. There are tons of answers. And if you're willing to take a journey like these magi and do some investigation, you're going to find out that there's a lot of answers validating who Jesus claimed to be. He didn't live his life in secret. He's a part of history. He lived his life in public. He died in public. I mean, there are so much evidence that point to the reality that he is who he claimed to be. He really is. And there are a lot of great answers surrounding this. But all of those great answers are simply going to lead you to a great person, the person of Jesus. But just, just for the sake of it, let me, let me give you a, 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 bit, of, a bit of perspective. There, there was a, a couple in 1910. This couple's lives, the event that happened in this couple's lives, changed American law forever. 1910, a man by the name of Clarence Hiller and his, his wife were enjoying their day. He spent the entire afternoon painting the trim of his two-story home. Went upstairs this evening, came, and him and his wife peacefully went to sleep. And they woke up hearing a, a, a bit of noise, and they noticed that the lamp in their daughter's room had gone out. So being a little bit suspicious and curious, Clarence got up and he, he walks uh, out of the room and he goes to check on his daughter. Next thing you know, his wife hears kind of this scuffle happen. She hears two guys fumbling down the stairs, two gunshots and a door slam. Well, that night Clarence died. She, his wife came down and, and, and he was gone. So about a mile down the road, they, the police found a gentleman by the name of Thomas. Well, Thomas had blood on his shirt. He had a gun that matched the description of the gun that killed this man. Um, but they couldn't prove it. They couldn't prove it. And so the police went to look for more clues. And they went to try to investigate a little bit more. And they just so happened to come ac across four clear fingerprints on the trim of Clarence's home. That just happened to match Thomas's. And at that moment, law changed of how we investigate. And this man was convicted. He was convicted because there was evidence. There was a fingerprint. Fingerprint. That said, whoa, like, we may have a lot of questions, but this is, this is, bringing, uh, this is building a solid case. 
And in the same way, when it comes to Christianity, there's, when it comes to Jesus, there's a solid fingerprint that this man was no ordinary baby in a manger. Like, like, like for instance, there, like I said, there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies that talked about the Messiah to come. That talked about a day when uh, the, the Messiah would come and, it, it, and spoke about how he would live, how he would die. All these very specific details that were written hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up on the scene. One guy by the name of Stoner, his name was Stoner, he wasn't a stoner, uh, did the, the probability, the probability of one man just fulfilling 49 of these prophecies. See, there were hundreds of prophecies that were written. Many of them pointing to the Messiah, so they did the, the mathematical probability and said, what is the chances that Jesus fulfilled just 49 of these prophecies, which Jesus fulfilled every single one? He said the chance would be one in a trillion, 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 trillion. In other words, impossible. He said it's mathematically, the equation is impossible. And he said, all right. What about the, 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 the people that God used to, you know, scribe the Bible? Now, many, many people don't know this, but the Bible is not just one book. It's 66 books, over 40 different writers, but one author being the Holy Spirit, written in all different spans of time, yet all consistently point to the same person, the person of Jesus. Now, now it's interesting because you say, what about these gospel writers? I mean, it didn't like man write the Bible. Okay, well, God uses men and women. That's what he does. But, like, I don't know, couldn't they have fudged some things? Like, for example, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Maybe the gospel writers fabricated the stories to make it look like Jesus fulfilled them. All right, let's take Matthew, for example. Maybe Matthew read in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So Matthew was like, man, this is good. I'm going to write this in. I'm going to write this in the gospel. Yep, Jesus was betrayed, 30 pieces of silver, right? Or maybe John knew that the Messiah's legs would not be broken when Jesus was being crucified. And that the Messiah, the, 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 the Messiah to come, would, not a bone would be broken on him during this, this crucifixion, during this time of death. And so John's like, man, that's a great idea. Let me just write that in. Like, Jesus, you know. You say, well, couldn't they have done this? Well, here's the problem. Is when the gospel started circulating around, people who were alive during those events were still alive. So it would have been easily refuted. Uh, for, for example, the, the you know, well-meaning, you know, Christians would have looked at John and Matthew and said, hey, guys, like, uh, Matt, that, that's a great argument. But, um, you know, that didn't really happen, man. <laughs> like, we're supposed to be people of integrity. John, like, come on, man. You know that his legs were broke. Like, you can't write that stuff, John. It's not true. Now, forget the disciples. What about the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of that day that wanted Christianity wiped off the face of the planet? They would have easily stepped in and said, whoa, whoa, time out. We didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't use silver to, to, to sell this man out. They would have said, man, his legs were clearly broken. Told you this was a hoax. But you know, nowhere in any Jewish writing, even in the Talmud, is there any refute to Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. They would have easily tore this up. God said, I already had a plan. I already had a plan. You said, all right, well, what about Jesus? Maybe he just maneuvered his, his way to 
kind of self-fulfill these prophecies. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Maybe he maneuvered himself. Hmm. That's a great point. He probably could have done that on a few of them. But let's look at a few others. Like, how do you maneuver miracles in front of your skeptics? Like, people who are skeptical about you, you're doing miracles in front of them. How do you, how do you maneuver that one? Or, or what about the method of execution? Like, how do you say, hey, guys, listen, Pilate, I really need you to crucify me, man, because i got to fulfill this prophecy. So there's a lot of ways that you can kill me, but can you please put me on the cross? That would be like, how do you maneuver that? What about the 30 pieces of silver? Hey, religious leaders, come here. Hey, this is how you're going to sell me out. It's going to cost you money. They would have been like, what? Taking my money? Like, how, how do you maneuver religious leaders to, to pay somebody 30 pieces of silver to sell you out? You, you, you can't maneuver that stuff. What about the timing of his birth? Prophecy speaks specifically to the timing was so impeccable, let alone the place of your birth. Like, like Jesus was born at the time where crucifixion clearly describes what the prophet Isaiah was declaring about how the Messiah would die 500 years before. How do you get that timing on point? How do you get the, the, the actual place where you were born? How do you work that one? Like Bethlehem? How do you, how do you prescribe that? What about my legs unbroken on the cross? What are you sitting there hanging on the cross? Hey, guys, you can't break my legs. Prophecy. I got to fulfill this. Right, it's just, exactly, it's a little bit funny. The resurrection, how do you maneuver the resurrection? Like you're crucified, beaten to a bloody pulp, stabbed and pierced uh, to, the, to the point where the spear pierces the very sack around your heart. And you're like, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to raise from the dead, right? He did maneuver that one. But gamble for your clothes, like. Hey, guys, while you're beating the, the, the mess out of me, can you make sure you throw some dice for my clothes? That would be really helpful. We, we laugh because there's no way. There's no possible way. See, it, this is just a little sneak peek. There are a ton of answers. We can talk about evil and suffering. There's a lot of great answers. There's a lot of great apologetics to, de to defend the reality of Christianity, not from just a faith standpoint, from, but from an evidential place. That there's so much fingerprints that declare he was who he says he was. But can I just tell you, all those answers, are, all those great answers are still just going to simply point you to a great person. All those answers apart from a great person, they're just answers. But they're all geared to design to point you to the Savior of the world. Now, I think we get this when we're kids. I think we understand this a little bit right from, from being kiddos, right? I mean, think about it. When we're kids, we know that we just don't need answers. We need a person. Like, my kids get hurt, first thing they do, like, if they run into a wall, it's common in our household. Don't ask me why. It's like, what happened? I ran into the wall. How do you run into the wall? Like, they, they don't sit there and, and try to calculate, hmm, what were my steps? What was the precision? How in the world did I, is the wall even there? <laughs> right? They don't do any of that. They come, they say, Mom, Dad. And then the moment Dad tries to give them an answer, they don't want an answer at that point. The moment I say, hey, hey, kids, listen, this is why when you run real fast and you're not paying attention, Mom, right? What they're saying is, listen, that's a great answer, but I need a great person. 
And, and, and I, think, I think for you and I as adults, we experience the same stuff. Like, you know how it feels to be in a season of life and you don't have all the answers. But you got some people around you that when they step into the room, you're like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Presence changes things. Right? You, you may even be in a place where you have all the answers, but you're still dying. But that one cup of coffee with somebody, even though you have all the answers, you don't understand how it's all piecing together, but you have the right answers. It's not satisfying, but that coffee with that person can just change the game. You show up to a small group, you have all the answers about life, and you know that all these different things, but there's something about being around a group of people. The game just changes. Presence changes. I remember when I, I broke my wrist in the ninth grade, sliding into second, and I was safe. <laughs> and then I heard this ring. As soon as I, see, I wasn't, I wasn't an athlete. Like, I looked like an athlete because I wore, like, Jordans and stuff like that. So I would step on the basketball court. I look like I can play. But then you get me in the game, and they're like, man, we picked this dude, right? <laughs> Always the last to get picked. That's how, but I was cool. That's why I was like, you know what, forget sports. I'm going to be a thug. Um, <laughs> but there was, <laughs> I slid in the second, and I heard this ring in my ear. And I was like, uh, that wasn't good. And then I showed my coach, and he was like, oh, no, because my wrist looked just really deformed. And, and my mom worked in San Francisco. I was in Castro Valley, and so I had to wait. I had to wait. And listen, bless their heart, the staff was so sweet, and they told me all the right stuff. Man, you're going to be all right. But you know what, they're going to they're gonna snap that thing right back into place. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, you're going to survive. And it was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But then the moment my mom walked in, it was like, mom. You, you ever have those moments where, where maybe you've seen a kid, even if you don't have kids, you've seen a kid, that they, they're just holding it. Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Then the moment the parent walks in, Right, because presence matters. It changes things. And what if that's true with God? What if you think you really need great answers, but in reality you just need great answers that are going to lead you to a great person? And his name is Jesus. You know, there, there was a, a theologian named Fred, Frederick Beekner. And he tells this, he gives this illustration, and he's very smart, so I'm not going to try to do it like him. I'm going to paraphrase it, um, meaning I'm going to give you a quick 30,000-foot view. But he said something to the degree of this. If God were to take the Milky Way and the cosmos and rearrange all of the stars in the sky, and all of a sudden God began to spell out in the sky, God is here. God is here. People would be like, whoa. They look just like this guy. Some would be, I knew it. Some would be like, oh, man. But God is, is, you know, playing little games. I'm here. Then what if he took it a step further? And he said, not only am I here, he goes on to say, I really exist. I really exist. At that point, the game changes, right? Stars in the sky are spelling out, hey, I exist. That's pretty powerful. At that moment, pastors are super pumped. Churches are packed. <laughs> Get a great offering that Sunday, right? It's just, the game changes at that point. But he goes on to say it's only a matter of time until a young kid looks up, chewing some gum, 
He says, eh, so what? What difference does that make? I'm still here. I'm still hurting. I'm still trying to figure out life. Like, okay, so you exist. And Beekner goes on to say, that's why, listen, we, we don't simply need this great answer painted out in the sky that, you know, this God of the universe is so distant and far away that he spells out into the sky, I exist, but it's so far removed from our everyday life. He says, that's not what we really need. He says, what we really need is the truth and the reality that God isn't just painting in the sky, I exist or I am here, but the truth of what we really need is a God that says, I am here, I understand, and I'm going to step out of the universe, I'm going to step out of time, into, out of eternity, into time, in bodily form, not as some distant being out in the universe that just declares I exist, but a God who is with you in the mess, a God that is with you in the difficulty, a God that is with you when it doesn't make sense, a God whose presence, when he walks in, everything changes. Everything changes when his presence steps in. The weight of his glory. You know, the word glory in the Bible, both the Greek and the Hebrew word translate as weight. It's heavy. But when the weight of God's glory, of his presence steps in, everything else has to move. That's what we need. And that's what these magi experienced. <laughs> They're great sign, the great star just simply pointed them to a great Savior. That's the reality. This great answers that they were seeking led them to a great person. And they experienced in that moment what Christmas is all about. They experienced in that moment that God is not some distant being in the cosmos that wants to rob you of joy and cause you pain but that there was a vulnerable baby that stepped out of heaven. They experienced in that moment Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. Because that's, that's really what we need. Listen, the great answers are just going to build your faith in that great person. Like the more and more that I study apologetics and, 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 I, and we can reason, we can sit down and we can talk about creation and science. We can talk about evolution and, and we can talk about all these things. I love it. I love to do that. But can I just tell you, every time I land or I get a new insight or there's a new truth that's uncovered, all it does is the great answer points me to the great person. And that great person is God with us. God with us in the pain. God with us in the breakup. God with us in the mess. God with us in the debt. God with us. That's what we need. That's what we've all needed. That's what we've, that's all we ever needed. When you look in the scriptures, God made this so plainly, so clear. A lot of times when they were, people were looking for clear answers, God said, man, I'm going to be with you. That's all you need is God with you. Answers are important, but great answers will always lead you to the greatest person ever. And his name is Jesus, the God-man that stepped out of heaven to suffer and die on a cross. He didn't just step into our mess. He dealt with our mess. Our sin took the penalty upon himself. Why? He got what he didn't deserve, 
so we can get what we did. <laughs> he took our sin. He took what we deserved so we could get what we didn't deserve. Life, peace, joy, this reality of God with us. Not just in eternity, but here, right now, in the midst of everything. See, they went on, the Magi. It says, they entered the house, and when they saw the child with his mother, Mary, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped. You know what's so special about this moment? Is they had, I mean, all the stars lined up, literally. But they had never heard Jesus proclaim who he, who he said he was. They never saw a miracle. See, even though you may get all of the right answers, you're never going to be able to avoid this one step of faith of putting your trust in him. And so here they're worshiping this this child, these guys are rich people. But can I just tell you, even if you are super successful at the pinnacle of success and you wonder why you still feel empty, that's because you need God with you. You need God with you in that place. You say, I'm not a wreck. My family's not where I, that's right. But apart from Christ, I guarantee you're longing. You're longing because there's something inside of you that says, it's got to be more than this. It's got to be more because that's how God made you. He put eternity in the heart of every man, every woman. So, so the bottom line is this. All the great answers are going to point you to a great person. But even when you get there, you're still going to have, you're going to, have to trust him. They took a step of faith and they worshiped a child because they knew that this was not any ordinary baby. This was Emmanuel, God with us. They recognized that, that this Moment. It may not have been the first Christmas, but somewhere within the first two years of that, they realized that this encounter was not just simply God with us, but it was God with them. And can I just tell you today, the reality doesn't have to be God with me or God with us, but God with you.